Good morning. We could all gather at our seats. It's good to see everybody this morning. We could all gather at our seats. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Once again, my name is Rayshawn. It's good to see everybody this morning here at the 11 o'clock service. And uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we'll, we'll just continue on today in our Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus has been talking from Matthew chapter 5 uh, up till now, uh, just about a, a higher righteousness, about uh, looking at our hearts and seeing, uh, are they Godward, are our affections towards God, or are they uh, towards ourselves? And, and Particularly today, Jesus is going to talk about our relationships towards others and the importance of our relationships with one another um, in light of our relationship with God. And so uh, this passage is filled with many uh, of the cliches that we often hear, uh, especially from, from chapter 7, verse 1, all the way to, to verse 12 of, you know, judge not, which is the new John three sixteen, And uh, then we see don't cast your pearls before swine. And then we also see uh, Matthew 7, verse 12, the golden rule, the, the principle that almost everybody seems to say, if you live by this, uh, you can't go wrong. So we're going to see how Jesus addresses these things. And before we start, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us uh, that we would just receive what God has for us to receive at this time. And Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for what you desire to speak to us. We thank you for this sermon on the mount, uh, Lord Jesus, that, that you preach the, the greatest sermon ever preached. And Help us to just, uh, to just continue to glean from this. Help us to continue to uh, receive uh, what you have for us to receive. Open up our hearts, our minds. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be exalted and that you would be seen as the fulfillment of the higher righteousness, that you would be seen as the fulfillment of the law and that uh, we would just hear your words, your tone, uh, your graciousness, your speech, just everything in, the, in, this, in this particular passage, Lord God, and that we would just be encouraged to trust in you uh, Father, for all things. And we just thank you, Lord God, that your words go forth and not mine, your thoughts go forth and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So ultimately, Jesus is dealing in this passage with our relationships towards one another. Uh, today, kind of the outline that we're going with is we're going to first look at the golden rule in verse 12, and then we're going to see how the golden rule applies to these two particular situations that he lists uh, concerning our relationships to, to, with others, concerning our, our, our judgment of others, and then concerning our graciousness with and to others. And so I'm going to first start off in, in the golden rule. And uh, prior to that, I'm just going to go ahead and read, read what it says. In Matthew 7, verse 12, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What Jesus is stating here is that he's, he's giving this summary in the golden rule. He, he starts it off with this, in some of your Bibles, it says, therefore, it says, so whatever. And so he's given this, this summary, essentially, of, of, of two particular things. He's given a summary of everything he said in this passage from Matthew chapter 5 until now. And then he's also giving a summary of, of exactly what he's explaining in this passage. So we've seen how this, this golden rule can, in a sense, be applied to everything that he said talking about this higher righteousness that God is requiring. And he says in Matthew 5, uh, verse 17, Jesus is talking. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I have come, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And then he talks about how unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees, then we will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So when he's talking about how this golden rule fulfills the law and the prophets, he's, he's giving sort of a, we, we can look at sort of a recap of everything he did, that he said previously up till now, how uh, it deals with the law and how our relationship with God and then our relationship with one another. And so concerning our relationship with one another, Jesus goes through and he talks about how, how our, our righteousness isn't to just conform to the, to the external things of the law, but it's, it actually works in our hearts. It begins with our hearts and our anger and, and being angry with our brothers, how it's the same as murder, how lust is the same as adultery, how, how we've got to love our enemies and and not retaliate with others, but go the extra mile. And that's concerning our relationships with one another. And then he goes on and talks about our relationships with God, our relationship with God and how it applies to our prayer, our, how we pray to him, how we fast for him, how we uh, give to him and how we give to others, or our motives or our affections, are they bent towards our own selfish ambitions or are they turned towards God and that we're, we're seeking him and we're desiring him and, and what he desires in, in all of these things. And so... Our relationships with one another are very important, and our relationships with God is very important. And what Jesus wants to talk about in, in this particular passage and how the golden rule applies to this particular passage is, is how our relationships with one another kind of, kind of pan out, how they look in light of obeying the golden rule. And so what we see here is that Jesus is, uh, is dealing in this particular passage with judging and discernment and then our graciousness with others. And so addressing the golden rule, what, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus wants to communicate in this passage that the, the golden rule applies to both our judgment and discernment, and it applies to our, our graciousness with others. Now, concerning our judgment and discernment, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 here, he says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is dealing with, with uh, the relationship that we have with our brothers, with those who we're interacting with, our Christian brothers and our sisters, and, and those who we would, would even seek to, to place judgment on. And this is something that, we, that applies to everyone because we're all, always making assumptions or conclusions or, or judging is something that we all definitely deal with because we're all making assumptions or conclusions about somebody or something at all times. And so Jesus wants to talk about how our judgment is not to be one of, 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 of critical, of critical, of a critical spirit or of hypocrisy, but he wants to tell us how we're ha to have righteous judgment and true judgment. And so what he's not saying in this passage, first of all, we see that this, this is a scripture that can be just applied. We see that it's taken and it's applied and it's given various different meanings. How people say that, that oh, judge not, that means only, only God can judge me. You can't judge me. You can't uh, condemn me. You can't pronounce any judgment on me. And I can essentially live however I want and do whatever I want to do. And you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And we see it's, it's kind of the new John 3.16, as we said before. And, but what is Jesus really saying? 
This is, like we said, this is a passage that's familiar to, to everyone, but what is Jesus communicating in this passage? Well, the first thing that he's not saying is that he's not saying that we have to throw out all sort of judicial authority and, and, and government and all type of ruling authority and, and, and judgment. He's not saying that we should just turn this blind eye to all sorts of judgment and, and look the other way and just sort of tolerate everything. He's not saying that we should abandon all forms of law and judicial authority because there's some forms of judgment that are beneficial. There's some forms of judgment that are good, that, that, that are right judgment. We see the laws of the state. We see the government establishing laws so that we can live and so that we can sort of, sort of interact in, uh, very civilly in this country. And so we also see uh, the laws that are also within church. Something like church discipline where you look at Matthew chapter 18 and we see that judgment is necessary and it's needed in that passage in order to approach a brother who is sinning. And when you approach that brother, you, you go before him and you, can, you, you tell him his fault and then you bring him before a witness or bring him before the church and then judgment is, is executed if that brother doesn't repent. So we see church discipline, that that is a right form of judgment. We can even also see how Jesus, he exercises judgment even within this passage in Matthew chapter 7 further down where he talks about beware of false prophets, how he's actually using judgment and, and exercising proper discernment and, and discerning between what's a, a true person who, who preaches and teaches and, and, and prophesies and what's a, a false person who preaches and teaches and, and prophesies. And he's saying that we have to make right discernment and right judgment concerning what we're hearing about the word of God. So he's not saying to throw all judgment out of the window completely, because just some judgment is necessary and it is needed. But what's, what, is, what is he talking about in this passage? What Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't have a critical spirit that looks to condemn or even call the final shot on others. We shouldn't be quick to jump to conclusions about someone or something on, on the basis of our own standards. Oftentimes when we judge, we're, we're coming to others in this critical spirit looking to find fault or looking to see this fault within them and, and then taking, taking our own standards, taking our own view of either God's law or our own standards and applying it to others, saying that if, if they don't match up to our standards, if they don't match up to what we believe God's law is saying about this, then we condemn them. It's sort of like we feel that God has sort of stepped out of the courtroom and given us the gavel and therefore we can just throw it down on any and every situation because we feel as though this person or this thing does not line up or, or, or live up to our expectation. And what Jesus is saying is that that's a critical spirit. It's looking for, for fault in others. It's looking for fault in particular situations on the basis that this is our standard. That if, it, if something or someone doesn't live up to this particular standard, they fall prey to, to my judgment and I'm condemning them once and for all. So Jesus is saying that we shouldn't be self-righteous in our judgment. We shouldn't be, have prejudice in our judgment and we shouldn't be prideful in our judgment. It's so easy for us to do this being, being, being infected and affected by sin. To look at everyone else's sin and to look at everyone else, everything else everyone else is doing and sort of clear ourselves and then make this judgment upon everybody. In Luke chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus gives this, this scenario. He's, he's looking at this Pharisee who, is, uh, who, who obeys the law, who considers himself righteous before God. And then he looks at this tax collector, this person who, who doesn't have the, the greatest reputation among men. He doesn't have the greatest reputation among, uh, among the, those who are, are viewing him in the city. And so this Pharisee, he goes into the temple and, pray and, and prays and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm, like, I'm not like extortioners or adulterers or those who are dishonest. 
Or even like this, this tax collector over here. He's made this judgment on this tax collector based on his standard of, of who he thinks tax collectors are. He's made a judgment on this tax collector that this guy, he can't be right with God. God, he can't be accepted before you. He can't be declared righteous before you. He can't be justified based on what I know about him. He's evil. He's unjust. He, che he cheats people out of their money. But in turn, what we realize is that the tax collector is actually the one who's justified. He's crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This Pharisee hadn't even talked to the tax collector. He knows nothing about him. He's got these preconceived notions, and therefore, he throws down the gavel on him based on his standards, based on what he sees, based on this appearance. We also see in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 55, Jesus goes and he's, he's uh, going into this town of the Samaritans. And the Jews, they don't, they don't get along with Samaritans because of, of racial tensions and prejudices and different things. And so as soon as, as, he, as soon as he leaves this town of the Samaritans, what has happened is that the Samaritans have rejected his teaching. They said, Jesus, we don't want to hear that. We're not, we're not buying it. And they rejected. And so Jesus, upon leaving the town, James and John, his two closest, two of his closest disciples say, Lord, they rejected your teaching. They cast us out. Let's just call down fire from heaven. Let's crack the sky, let's just watch the city on a hill, and let's just watch him call down fire from heaven, and just, let's just watch the city burn like, like you did with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus looks at him, he says, you do not know what spirit you're of. You guys don't even know what you're talking about. And he says, he says for the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. He says, you guys got a critical spirit. You really think that what's right right now is, is, is calling down judgment and calling down this condemnation, but I didn't come to destroy lives, I came to save them. This is what we do in our judgment. We're just like the Pharisee. We're just like James and John who want to just condemn upon seeing something wrong. We want to condemn upon seeing something that doesn't even line up to God's word or something that doesn't line up to our own standards. We want to call down fire from heaven and pronounce the final judgment for them on, on, that, on something or someone. We shouldn't fervently, or we shouldn't take delight or in fervently seek to find fault in others. So Jesus explains why, why we shouldn't judge. He gives us the grounds and the reason of why we shouldn't judge others. And he says, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, he says, for or because with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. The first thing that we see here is that we're, the reason that we're not to judge is because, one, we're not the final judge. We don't call the shots. We're not the Supreme Court. There's a higher court than us. We will be judged. Jesus is saying that, that everybody's got court dates. We've all got a, a, an appointment in this book, a court date that we will stand before the Supreme Court. And therefore our judgment is, is faulty. Our judgment is wrong because ultimately we will be judged. There is a higher judge. God doesn't leave the courtroom and hand us the gavel to, to, to conduct cases in the way which we see them fit. But he is the supreme judge. And with the measure of judgment that we use, the criticism, the, the harshness, the, the, the no mercy, no grace that we use, it will be measured unto us. It's the same way that Jesus says how we're supposed to approach in prayer, that we're to forgive the sins of others, even before asking for forgiveness of our sins. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, how, how in judging others, we often forget that we will be judged, that God is a supreme judge who is right, 
who is a righteous judge. And we're not righteous judges. And Jesus gives this explanation showing how we're not righteous judges, but he is the righteous judge. And with the measure of judgment that we use, it will be measured to us. We can't say, God, be merciful to me. And then at the same time, we're, we're not merciful with others. And so Jesus, he, he, he proceeds on and gives this explanation of this idea that he sets forth in saying that we're not to judge others. So he gives this explanation in verse 3. He says, just this example, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He gives this example, and Jesus was a carpenter who often worked with wood, and so he gives this, this sort of humorous example. This, this kind of thing that shows how erroneous and how incorrect our judgments are. And just sort of three observations from this example. The first thing that we see is that our judgment, it, it can be correct. Yeah, granted, there is a speck in your brother's eye. You saw it. Good job. Yes, you do see a speck in your brother's eye. But the second thing we observe is that our judgment is corrupted. And that although you've seen this speck in your brother's eye, you've, you've indicated you've seen this problem and now you want to go towards him and you want to go to him and help him and speak into their life and correct it for them, you've missed a greater problem. There are bigger things going on than the speck that's in your brother's eye, namely a beam that's in your own eye. Jesus is saying that, that you've seen the speck in his eye, but you've missed the obvious beam in your own eye and therefore you're unqualified to move the speck. As he says, he, he continues on, he says, well, how can you say to your brother, let me take, let me take the speck out of your eye? I got it. Let, I, let, let me just stand here and take the speck out of your eye. It's like having an eye doctor who, who's going to try to operate on a speck in your eye, and he's completely blind. He's got a beam in his own eye. None of us would go to an eye doctor like that. Some guy who walks in there and says, I'm going to, to inspect this, this. You say you've got a problem with your eye. I'm going to inspect it. Just, just let me see. None of us would do that. But at the same time, we do that when we attempt to judge others. When we attempt to condemn others, we miss the greater problem. So the third observation is that our, our judgment is crooked. Our judgment is, is hypocritical. It says, you, you, you hypocrite is what Jesus says. And what does that mean? Well, pretty much the, 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 something that defines a hypocrite is that he professes something, professes one thing, and lives the, the complete opposite way. So the hypocrite, us in, in our judging, it would be us saying that we profess that our vision is clear enough to remove a speck from somebody else's eye. But obviously that's not the case because we've got this beam in our own eye. We're saying my vision is clear enough that I can remove a speck from your eye, but obviously that's not the reality. We've missed a greater problem because there's a beam in our own eye. This beam is our sin. This beam is uh, the way that we do not match up and measure up to God's law. This beam is even our own judgmental ju judging of them. There's a greater problem. It's like the man in James chapter 1, verse 23, who says, he gives this contrast of hearers and doers of the word. And the, the hearer of the word is like a man who looks in the mirror. And he looks at his, himself and then he, he quickly turns the mirror around and forgets what he looks like. See, the, the, the hypocrite, the person who judges, when you and I, when we make these, these preconceived judgments on others, these critical judgments on others, we, we take the law of God, we look at, we look at ourselves in the scripture, this, we, we, we're a hearer of the word, yep, got it, good. We look at ourselves, but quickly we shut the book and we forget what every, everybody, we forget what we look like, and yet we want to run around and turn the mirror on everybody else. And it makes no sense because while turning the mirror on everyone else, we've got this gigantic beam in our own eye. 
So the question for us is, is who have you judged? Both verbally and non-verbally. See, we think of this judgment as as of walking up to someone and making this judgment or verbally talking or pronouncing this judgment on someone. But we make judgments in our minds all of the time. We're making assumptions. We're throwing the gavel down on people before we even know them or talk to them. We're throwing the gavel down on Christians, on our own Christian brothers and sisters before we even, even have any type of idea of who they are or, or what they're about or, with, or without responding in any type of grace or mercy, without thinking of any of that. We just want to condemn. What are we assuming about others that leads us to condemn them? What are, we, what are we assuming about even ourselves that leads us to condemn them? And why do we feel that, that our condemnation of them is just? Why do we feel that, that that's the right way to look at it? That that's the right way to see things? There is a right and true judgment that is based on God's word and God's law. But when we truly understand right judgment, we, we, first, we first turn the mirror on ourselves. We see that we don't, we don't line up to it. We don't match up to it. And so it's the difference between hypocrisy and humility. Us seeing the, the speck in our brother's eye and wanting to go fix it for them while ignoring the beam in our own eye versus being, having humility and saying, brother, I've got, a, I've got a beam in my eye. I've got a court date like you do. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you to, to realize that we will both be judged. I see a speck in your eye. I've got a beam in mine. Let, let's help one another out. Concerning the golden rule, how are you treating others the way that you wish to be treated when it concerns judging? And Christians, our, our hope is in Christ. Our trust is in Christ as being the Savior for our sins. Are we judging our brothers the way that, that God has judged us? Are we demonstrating, we see the grace of God in, in, in not giving us what we deserve. We see the grace of God in, in taking his judgment and, and averting it and putting it on Christ and giving us life eternal, giving us reconciliation with him. Are we, are we exercising that same judgment that we, that we want on us towards others? So Jesus, Jesus continues to, to proceed as we continue to examine our hearts and the affections of our hearts. And he, he goes and he, he talks about judgment and, and as far as discernment. And in verse 6, he says, he gives this sort of parable. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So Jesus has now just told us what it looks like to not judge. But he also wants to, he doesn't want us to take it the, the extreme left way and, and without any balance and not just judge anybody because we're afraid of condemning them and we don't want to say the wrong thing. But he, he tells us in this verse, he kind of brings it to this balance of that we are to have proper discernment. We ought to have proper judgment, that there is a righteous and true judgment, which John chapter 7, verse 24 says, isn't based on appearances. So Jesus, in light of speaking about self-righteous judgment, presents this balance to his listeners and talking about righteous discernment and righteous judgment. He says here, do not give dogs what is, what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine, another, another cliche we often hear, and, and we want to see what Jesus says here. Dogs and swine in, in these days were considered wild animals. They were considered unclean. Dogs were not typical house pets. You didn't have little dogs that wear little sweaters and run around and, and, and like, our, like our little dogs. These were wild and ravenous dogs. They would devour you. They would go after you. And these, these pigs were wild animals. They were totally unclean. They were in the mud. They, were, they would eat anything. And they were, just, they were outside of the city most, most of the times. 
You see how Jesus approaches the, the demoniac and he, he tells the pigs, he, he's outside of the city where this man has been, and he, he tells the demons to go inside of the pigs who are also outside of the city. These pigs were unclean. Nobody wanted anything to do with these pigs and these dogs. And so what Jesus is saying is that no one would take something holy, no priest would take something holy, something in the temple, something like a scroll or something like something, some meat that was offered to God and then throw it to dogs. What's a dog going to do with a, a, the Torah? What's he going to do with the scroll that you throw at him? What's he going to do with the words of God? No priest is going to, no, no rich man is going to take his pearls, something of great value to him, and then throw them to pigs. On one end, you've kind of got to ask yourself, what, what's wrong with, with, with the person who does these things? Because it's almost like they don't value something that's sacred or holy. But on, on the other end, what Jesus emphasizes in this passage is that these dogs and these swines, they don't have any appreciation for these things. They have no appreciation for something that's, that's holy. They have no appreciation for something that, the pigs have no appreciation for pearls. They try to eat them, they'll choke. Then Jesus says the reaction is that they'll turn and trample you. They'll turn and go after you. They have no value for these things. They have no appreciation for these things. And kind of this proverb, this allegory that Jesus is referring to is that he is referring to people, in a sense, as being dogs and pigs. And he's not disrespectfully name-calling, and he's not saying that people are dogs or people are pigs in the sense that they are like animals. But what he's saying here is that there are people who we will encounter. There are people that, that we encounter that, that, who, who reject correction who reject truth, who have no value for precious things, who have no value for, for something like the gospel, no value for wanting to be corrected, no value for wanting to be set straight. And so as we see on, on, on one hand, we see that we're all under the bondage of sin, that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, that we all, prior to the grace of God coming in Jesus Christ and Christ making us alive, we reject the gospel. We're against it. We're opposed to it. Our hearts don't respond to it. But then there's, an, there's another end. There's, there are those who we encounter who, who are like us, were dead in trespasses and sin, but there are those who willfully and, and seek to destroy those who present truth, who present correction. They don't want to do anything more but, but to maul you like these dogs or pigs or destroy you or discredit you. You're not getting anywhere with them. And so Jesus isn't, isn't disrespecting these people, but he's saying that they have no value for truth, no value for correction, no value for the precious things or the holy things that are presented in the good news of the gospel or, or even in just being corrected from something that's wrong. And he's saying that we need to exercise discernment. Peter gives this great example in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, talking about how those who rejected salvation, those who rejected the great salvation of our Lord are, are like those who are dogs who have gone back to their own vomit or swine that go back after cleansing themselves back to the mire. It will be the same thing to, to reject truth, to reject these things. And so we need to exercise discernment in, in approaching all people. We will approach people who will blatantly push against these things and seek to abuse us and seek to discredit us and our, our conversations will not be fruitful. And what Jesus is saying here is that there are people who don't appreciate the truth, who do not appreciate correction or the gospel and reject it in such a way that they only seek to argue or debate or destroy or despise you. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, it gives this, this sort of proverb that kind of matches up with it. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. 
Reprove a wise man and he will love you. This is what he's talking about, the abuse that's reaped from, from scoffing and from this mocking of not, this not appreciating truth and, and, and not appreciating the gospel and correction. So we're all called to be discerning. And Jesus isn't telling us that we need to be dog hunters or swine hunters. He's not telling us that we need to go on this, this, this ultimate discernment hunt and take everybody that we know and either categorize them in dogs or swine. He's not telling us, he's not telling you to set up, set up this blog and this discern, be this discernment blogger where you just sort of categorize everybody. He's not telling you that you need to keep the gospel to yourself and don't witness and don't share the gospel or share truth or correction with anybody. He's not saying that. He's saying be discerning in your interactions with people. This, this verse doesn't contradict the Great Commission and that we're to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We just need to be wise and discerning in doing that and realize that there are people who are only out to, to just discredit you. We see this in the life and ministry of Jesus and, and that he encountered plenty of people and dealt with each one differently. Some received him, some didn't. When he was taken before Pilate, he, he spoke, he gave words. It was almost like he, he was kind of reaching Pilate in a sense. But then we see him taken before Herod. He says not a word. He doesn't say anything. Herod just wants to see a sign or mock him. He doesn't, he doesn't break out the pearls before Herod. He, he keeps them. See this in, in the ministry of Paul. How after he had preached to the Jews and continues teaching the Jews and putting forth the gospel, he says, and they keep rejecting and there are these riots and there are these revolts and they seek to discredit him and destroy him. To him and Barnabas in, in Acts chapter uh, 13, they say, listen, your blood be upon your own heads. We have preached to you, but now because you do not receive it and reject it, we're turning to the Gentiles. It's time to go. And this is the same kind of call to discernment that we've got to have. This is a call that, that is filled with grace and it's filled with patience and it's filled with perseverance and that we want to take the gospel, we want to take the truth, we want to bring correction. But at the same time, there are people, there are things, that, there are times where we're just hitting a brick wall and we've got to be discerning enough to know that maybe it's just time to move on. Maybe it's just time to, to turn and, and, and go somewhere else and just trust the grace of God and the Holy Spirit to continue to work against those who, who, who would be considered what Jesus says, dogs or, or pigs, who just have no value for these things. Same thing with correction or, or bringing the truth to someone. So Paul's words to Timothy kind of bring the sort of the same, same sort of graciousness and gentleness that he wants, that I believe Jesus is communicating that we have to have in discerning. In 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. These are the words that, that Paul gives to Timothy concerning those who, who just want to reject and just want to just debate and argue. He gives us these same words. So are, are we discerning in our interactions with people? When we come across those who are rejecting and mockers of, of the truth and correction and, and even the gospel, is our discernment with gentleness? Is it with patience? Is it with kindness? And also in our discerning, are, are we treating others how we wish to be treated? Taking that golden rule and even applying it in our discernment. Are, are we treating others how we wish to be treated? Are we, are we exercising gentleness? Are we exercising patience? Are we, are we just arguing? Are we just debating? Is it just about being right 
and trying to convince a pig that, 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 that he can't fly and trying to convince a dog that, that he can try to understand certain things that he has no value, has no value for. So as we continue to, to ask ourselves these questions, Jesus, he proceeds further in this passage. And he, t- he talks about the next part, it's about the, the, the relationship that we are to have towards others on the basis of our relationship with God, the graciousness that we are to have towards others and the, the generosity that we're to have towards others on the basis of our relationship with God. And he, he, he says here in, in verses seven through 11, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and who, the, to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And he deals with this next part of the sermon, and, and, and it, it, this part of the sermon probably summarizes everything that he said thus far, and, and, and even all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, and stating what this higher righteousness looks like, and stating that we shouldn't judge, and we shouldn't condemn, but we're to have discernment, that people probably feel like, gosh, this is a, it's a tall order. This is major. I've got I've to not be angry. I get angry every day. I've got to not lust. Lust comes at me all the time. I've got to go the extra mile with my enemy with, with, and not retaliate. I've got to love my enemies. And God is going to judge me by this. This is a tall order. This is it's almost a, a heavy burden. But Jesus wants to encourage us and invite us to ease that burden through this exhortation, through this invitation that he's talking about right here. You see, the Pharisees and, and Jesus in responding to their teaching, the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees to his, to his disciples, to his hearers, and he's saying that the Pharisees, they present this thing and they, they, they present the law and they, they present this interpretation of the law and, and making all these extra little sub-laws beneath them and they, they're quick to judge. They're quick to not be gracious. Jesus says in Matthew 23 that they set this heavy burden upon the backs of men and yet they're not willing to lift a finger to help them. And Jesus is saying, God, is, he's not doing this in this passage. He's not giving you this tall order concerning the, the affections of your heart, not just putting it on your back and, and saying that unless you have this righteousness, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, he's not, he's not saying that he's lifting a finger. He's taking the burden. He's fulfilling the righteousness that he requires. And we don't have to fear or be anxious, as he says in the previous passage, and about seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness. But we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. We can say, God, I I need help with this thing. I wanna seek your kingdom and seek your righteousness. I I ask for this righteousness. I'm gonna seek this righteousness. I'm gonna knock for this righteousness. Give it to me, grant it to me, please. This comes through prayer. This comes through seeking God. This comes through depending and, and trusting on God. So he says in this passage, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. 
And what this, what this is talking about, I heard John Piper give this sermon I just listened to recently on concerning this passage on 7 through 12. And he was talking about how this is related to this, this, uh, this passage of a father and a son. And Jesus goes on and, and gives this sort of example. But John Piper was talking in this sermon how it's a, it's a father and a son. And the reason Jesus gives these three different repetitions of this is because he wants us to ask and seek and knock. And these are all different because the relationship with the father is, is sort of somewhat, you, you need all of these things. Sometimes the Father is there in front of you, and you can ask him for help. You can ask him for the problem that you're dealing with. You can ask him for his guidance, for his wisdom. And some of you may, may feel like that today, that you feel, you feel close with God. You feel like he's, he's right there with you. Ask. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like you've got to take this burden on yourself of this, this fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfills it in your place. Ask, and you shall receive. And so the next thing he says is that this father who's, who's in there, he's not always present in front of you. And for me, I know this is, is, this is personal. When my father, growing up, my dad wasn't always in front of me or, or there. He would always tell me to ask questions in school, at home, whatever. And sometimes I'd, just, I'd be quiet, I'd be more internal, and I'd kind of keep it to myself, trying to figure out the, my own problem before I come back and say, Dad, I, I figured it out. But he says, seek if your father's not in front of you, don't, don't sit there and try to figure it out on your own. Don't try to atone for your own sin. Don't try to make for yourself your own righteousness. Seek the father. Seek him and you will find. If your dad is, if he's not present, if Jesus is saying if the father's in present, you can go look around the house. Dad, where are you? I need some help. And then the next thing he's saying, knock. That if your father, if he's in the house and you can't find him and maybe you sought him and now the door is closed and maybe he's talking to his wife or he's talking on the phone to somebody, knock. Knock on the door. You can, you can come in. It's not disturbing him. It's no burden. It's no, he doesn't give you the finger to come back later in five minutes. You can knock and the door will be open to you. This is what he's saying. Ask. And if you, can, if you, if you don't feel like you've got an answer, seek. Seek him. Knock. Go after him. Pursue him. There's this invitation of, of joyous, uh, of asking because the Father is, is pleased with us in Christ. As we read in this responsive reading that we have been adopted because Jesus lived the, the perfect life in our place and, and died in our place for our sins. We've been adopted into his family if we believe and hope in that and trust in that. And therefore, we can, we can pursue the Father. We cry out, Abba, Father, help me, Daddy. For some of you, you may, you may have had a father that, that wasn't like this. You may have had a father that, was, that, that gave you kind of the, wait a minute, I'm busy. Or you may not be able, have been able to sought, seek him or, or pursue him or, or knock. What Jesus is saying here is that your father, your heavenly father is greater. Your heavenly father will hear you if you ask. He will find you. He will, he will make sure that your answer is found if you seek. And if you knock the door, the door is open. It's open anytime. Come on. And he gives this example of, of kind of what he's explaining, like I mentioned previously, with the father and son. He says the reason that we're able to ask and seek and knock with, with these results of being heard, of, of finding, and of, and of the door being open is because of the relationship that we have with God the Father. He says, how much more? And he goes on, he says, if then, he says, or which one of you, if, you have, if he has a son, ask him for bread, will give him, for, give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus here is, is affirming 
the, the total sinfulness of, of everyone who comes on, into this planet, how we were born in sin and, and shaped in iniquity. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children. That sin affects us all. But even in spite of that, something, all those sin affecting us all, the father, the earthly father who is, who is tainted and marred by sin, still looks out for the, for the well-being of his child. He still looks to give good things to his children. He still looks to provide their needs. And he's saying that even if earthly fathers who are evil can give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father who is transcendently good, who is transcendently holy, who is transcendently 10 billion more times loving than the, than the best heavenly father, how much more will he give good gifts to those who ask him? You don't have to try to atone for your own sin. You don't have to try to go through this Sermon on the Mount and say, wow, I've got a tall order in order to fulfill this righteousness. No, you can ask, and he has provided. You can seek, and you will find. You can knock, and the door will be open. He is good, and he will give you good gifts. Luke chapter 12, it says, the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. It is his pleasure you don't have to feel like God is somehow rejecting you. Even the son that, that disobeys, even the son that sins, even the son that's prodigal is still accepted. He can still ask, he, is, he can still seek, he can still knock. For those of you who feel like you are carrying the bur burden of guilt because you don't measure up to this, know that you can ask. If you believe and trust in Christ, you can seek, you can knock and the door will be opened. God promises to answer because he's the heavenly and transcendently and infinitely good, pure, and loving, and all-wise father who, who not only he knows our needs, but he will provide for these needs. And so we see that this, this passage is often one that often gets sort of taken in the same way that we talked about last week, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The people kick doors wide open and just kind of take their wish list, and now they, they run up to God who's Santa. They sit on his lap and say, I need this, 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 and, and here, let me just give you the list. And God becomes a Santa Claus. He becomes a, a sugar daddy. This isn't the relationship that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about this. This, this is not just everything we want, but this is, this is what we need. This is God being all wise, knowing what we need and knowing that our daily bread, we can ask for it. Even sometimes our needs being, being warped. You know, sometimes as, as sort of ignorant and sinful children, we ask for snakes when he desires to give us bread. He knows our need. He's not going to give you a snake because you ask for it. He, he knows your need. Even if you don't know what your need is and if you ask, he will give it. He's infinitely wise, but this passage, what it means, he's saying in 1 John, he said in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, something we looked at a few months ago as, as we were going through 1 John, he says, John says, and this is the confidence, this is the confidence that you and I as sons and daughters who, who have believed and trust in Christ, living and dying in our place for our sins, this is the confidence that we can have towards him, towards our Father, that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his good and perfect and holy and wise and loving and joyous will for us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And John goes further, and if, and we, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. 
He's a good father. He gives good gifts and only good gifts. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't be the the child who, who wants to figure it all out before he presents it to the father so that the father can be pleased. No, the father has all, he is pleased. He's placed himself on our side in Jesus. So now we see we see the, the sort of application that he goes on in verse 12 again. And he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This so, this, this so, this, or some of your Bibles says, therefore. It's in light of this, in light of God's graciousness to us, in giving us Christ and, and treating us better than we, we even deserve, so that now sinful children who were formerly children of the devil, what Jesus says in John chapter 8, who have been adopted by God into his family can now ask and receive and seek and find and then knock and the door be open. God has treated us very graciously, better than we could ever be to ourselves. It's in relationship to this, this vertical relationship that we take his, his love, his grace, his goodness and dealing with us in, in Christ and then turn it on our side, turn it on this side so that we're now gracious and generous and loving to others. So that if others come up to us and, and they ask, yeah, on the basis that God has given me what I ask for, what he's done for me, like, like the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, what God has done for me, what I wish that he would do in removing my sin and my, my guilt and my transgression, do so for others. Forgive, give. If someone asks, give to them. If they seek, show them, show them the way, help them find. If they knock, let the door be open. On the basis of God's graciousness to us, we are called to be gracious. On the basis of God's goodness and and love to us, he calls us to participate in that. Not so that we can earn more points with him, so that we can show that and demonstrate that to the people we're around. our, Our relationships with one another are very valuable in the eyes of God. You can't be a Christian and just sort of act however you want with everybody else who's around you. You can't, you can't just be sealed up the gospel and, and sealed up truth and sealed up correction and sealed up transparency and sealed up honesty. You can't be that way. It, God very much looks at our relationships with one another. And that's why this golden rule is that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Our relationships with others aren't, aren't saving in the fact, in the way that our relationship with God is. But God, in his graciousness to us, calls us to participate in demonstrating that love, in demonstrating that grace towards others. And this is the golden rule. This is what God establishes. This is what he requires. That on the basis of of what he has done for us in Jesus, in removing our sin and transgression and making us righteous, We demonstrate this and we display this in our generosity and and graciousness towards others. Let's examine how we judge others in relation to how God has judged us. Let's not use this sort of false judgment. Let's not use this quickly condemning judgment. But let's look at true judgment, looking at God's law and seeing that, that, you know what, I, I don't measure up to this. And if you see a speck in your brother's eye, hey, brother, I want to encourage you. Sister, I don't want to encourage you. You don't measure up to this. I don't measure up to this. Let's see what God's word has to say because we will be judged. Coming in humility, treating others as we want to be treated. And in graciousness to others. 
treating others as we want to be treated. Let's examine how we're gracious to others in relation to God, how God has been gracious to us in Christ. Let's examine that. Let's see that in, in our lives. Let's see, let's, let's just examine ourselves. Let's examine the affections of our heart. The grace that God has given me, am I, am I giving that towards others? The judgment, the verdict that God has given me in Christ, am I displaying that? Am I sharing that with others? The discernment that I'm, that I'm having, am, am I angry? Am I debating? Am I trying to just be argumentative for the sake of being argumentative or just totally being inclusive and not talking to anybody? Categorizing everybody. Are we acting in gentleness because God acted in gentleness and grace and kindness with us? This is what he wants to communicate about the golden rule. Let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you for everything that you have said thus far and everything you'll continue to say in this sermon. We thank you, Lord God, that, that you've not come to abolish the law, but you have come to fulfill it. And we thank you that you have fulfilled it in our place for our sins so that we might be adopted, that we might be heirs. We thank you that you are pleased with us because you are pleased with your son. He lived the perfect life. He, was, he, was, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be accepted in your sight. Lord God, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We ask, Lord God, Help us to, to fulfill this. Like, like Augustine said, uh, command what you will, but give what you command. Help us in these things, Lord God. Just continue to, to be gracious to us. Help us, in light of being gracious to us, help us to be gracious towards others. Forgive us for not being gracious towards others. Forgive us for judging and assuming and pronouncing condemnation on others based on our own standards, tear, tear our standards down and replace them with, with your, your love, with your law, with your truth. Lord God, we thank you that when we were all dogs and swine, when we were all rejecting of the truth that you presented towards us in the gospel, when we were all rejecting of your correction and we scoffed at it and mocked at it on various levels, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Help us to, to display the same sort of discernment and, 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 and goodwill towards others who, who do reject it. Lead us and guide us in, in each interaction that we have with people for your glory and for, for our joy. We thank you for all of these things that you've done for us in your son. In Jesus' name, amen.